It's now full-on holiday season, and when it comes to holiday symbols, one of the most iconic is the bell, from church bells to sleigh bells to handbells. I'm your host, Andra Stefanoni. I work as a storyteller at Pittsburgh State University, and this is Guerrilla Connection. Here on campus for generations at every half hour and hour, we hear a digital bell system ringing from the Overman Student Center. But there's another set of bells tucked away in a small case in room 210 Yates Hall, in the math department of all places, that you're going to learn more about in this episode. You'll meet the professor who plays them. You'll find out why handbells used to be rather like social media way, way back in the day. And you'll learn how they relate to mathematics. So I'm um, Dr. Cynthia Huffman. I'm a university professor of mathematics here at Pittsburgh State. And I've been teaching about 27 years. 27? Yeah. Wow, time flies. It does. And um, I'm also a graduate of Pitt State. What year did you graduate? I graduated with my bachelor's in um, 86 uh-huh. and then with my master's in 1987. Okay. You were just a little ahead of me. I got yeah. here in 88. Okay. Yes. Yep. Yeah. And so things have changed quite a bit since that time, but one thing that hasn't changed is math. Right. Math is math, right? Yeah, though there is um, new math that comes al- is being, I don't know if you want to say invented or discovered, but most of it is going to be beyond what students at the bachelor's and master's level okay. will be taking. They're just getting the basics. Yeah. The- so uh, what caught my eye, the reason I wanted to sit down with you is because you posted on Facebook the other day that you used bells to teach a math lesson. And I know you've been a bell ringer for some time. I've seen some of the Timmons concerts and church concerts and things. And so I wanted to talk to you not about math, not that it's not interesting, but what really captured my attention was the bell ringing. Okay. So tell me about that, what it's like to be a bell ringer, and we'll find out when you did it and how you do it, and then more importantly, how it relates to math, because that intrigued me. Okay. So I started when I was in high school. Um, playing in the church bell choir at First Christian Church here in town. I you went to Pittsburgh High School? Yes, I'm a purple dragon. Okay, good, uh, me too. And I was what you call a bell hog. So with a bell choir, you really need everybody to be there in order to practice because everyone's responsible for two or more notes. And so if somebody can't be there, it's kind of like taping down some keys on the piano and you can't don't have those notes. Uh-huh. So... If somebody wasn't there, I would say, well, let me try and play the, play their bells. And then I heard um, some bell solos and thought, that is so beautiful. I want to learn to do that. So I um, And who directed that at the time? Are they still around? My mom was one of the directors. Your mom was a director. Yeah, yeah. And Martha Jane Champy, okay. um, the minister's wife. Okay. And at that time, they had three different bell choirs. And so to someone who's listening who does not know what a bell choir is, can you describe what that looks like and how that actually works? So you'd have a row of people with behind a table that has pads on it to protect the bells, and everybody has like a bell in each hand, and they're playing their notes, um, and it's, you know, regular music, and... So each time, for example, if a person were playing the piano, each time they would strike a note on the keyboard... Somebody's, in a bell choir, that would represent a bell being rung one time, right. one note. Right. And each one of your bells represents a note on the keyboard? Yes, exactly right. Okay. 
So that would mean then that you have, there are eight notes in an octave, and then you have your, your, in your yeah. white keys, and you have your black keys, which are the sharps and flats. Right. So you have that in bells also? Yes. Okay. Yep. Yeah. And then you'd have to have them very, very low for the bass clef and mm. very high for the treble clef. Exactly right. Okay, great. Yeah. Yep. I have a vision of it now. Yeah. Right. And, um, you know, a beginner choir might have two octaves of bells, and um, then more advanced choirs like the Bells of the Balkans here in town, I think, are playing maybe five octaves now. Okay. And so you get some really, really big bells, and then they're made out of aluminum because if they were made out of the usual brass, they'd be too heavy. Well, I wondered about that. I've seen large bells being rung, and I think how strong you must have to be right. to, to do that and yeah. very quickly do it. Yes, and so they get to a certain point, and the bells are made out of aluminum then, so they can be lifted. Uh-huh. Yeah. And does it take a great deal of practice? Do you all get together pretty regularly? Usually bell choirs meet once a week. And, you know, it just depends on the skill of the players. What There's different levels of music, just like with um, learning to play piano. Okay. And so some there are pieces out there that are really fairly simple. Um, when my mom directed, she directed a choir for senior citizens that didn't all read music. Uh-huh. And so she would mark the tempo, the the note values, and then she'd circle the people's notes with different colors. One oh, book. so they knew when it was their turn to right. go. Clever. Right. Yeah. Okay. So so you have your little case here. Do you could you open that up and sure. show me? Because I I need to be educated on what we're talking about. And the brand of bells I have, the white handled ones are like. The white notes on a piano, okay. and the black handled ones are like the incidentals, the accidentals, the flats. Uh-huh. Okay. And and may I hold one if I promise yes, not may. to drop it? Okay. Oh, it's not as heavy as I thought it would be. but And so to make it ring, so I've got my hand through the hoop here. To make it ring, what do I you do? You want to grab around the handle. Oh, I want to grab around it. And like you're hammering a nail on the wall. Okay, here we go. Ready? No, that didn't work. Oh, oh wow. Yeah. So the clappers go just forward and backwards. Uh-huh. Um, you can adjust the kind of how tight they are and how hard you have to uh-huh. to to hit. So it takes a little bit of practice just to kind of figure out how how hard you have to sort of flick your wrist to get it to work, yes. right? Uh-huh. And and this was an F evidently that I just played. And what do you have? I have an E flat. An E flat. So let's hear that. Okay. Now you. You did something with your hand and arm. I just sort of flicked it, and you made it look much more graceful, like a ballerina. Yeah, so I did a, it's kind of like you go in a okay. circle. Okay. You hit and, and, yeah. Oh, great. And it has a little bit of an after, I don't, what do you call that? It just keeps kind of going. And right. The um, sound waves travel. Yeah, and they also have what are called overtones. So there's other notes that aren't as prominent that are played along with them. So it's sometimes hard to play bells with an organ because an organ has a lot of overtones oh. too. And if they're not matched it, up, you get clash. Clash. Okay, mm-hmm. that makes sense. Okay, so um, what I need to find out now is how do you? I saw you standing earlier with three of those in one hand. Yes. How can you play three in one hand? So the outside two, the handles are linked. Uh huh. And the outside two 
the clapper's going about the same direction, not quite. Okay. One will play at like 2 o'clock and one at 10 o'clock. So you just sort of twist your wrist a little bit. Just a little bit. And the middle one is completely opposite, so it's 90 degrees. But your brain has to constantly be thinking of which way to flick your wrist yes. according to which note, right? right? You're a multitasker. Yeah. In a big sense of the word. Yeah. Okay, so you have three. She has three in one hand. And we have an F and a... I don't even know. Okay, but E flat. I didn't put them in order. Okay, well, that I guess it doesn't matter which ones. So show us how the three can be played in one hand. And you just did that by twisting your wrist in a different direction. Yes. Fascinating. Yeah, and the outside too. So like if I was playing in a choir and needed to play chords, uh-huh. these aren't going to sound very good together, but... You, you can make them both work at the same time. Yeah, the clapper's going enough in the same direction. And then do you you also put three in the other hand? You, do you sometimes play six in two yes. hands? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so for the song I did for this year's Timmons um, Christmas concert, I played a song with just six bells. And To me, this would be like rubbing your stomach and patting your head and walking all at the same time. I have to admit it took um, several months of lots of practice. <laughs> To kind of get the feel for how to turn my wrist. Sure, sure. To make them play, yeah. So we're on the second floor of Yates Hall, um, the home to the math department, tucked into, what's your office number? 201. 201. It's very cozy in here, but it is filled to the brim with mathematical binders and textbooks and math papers and math stuff. And so this is a good place for you to tell me how bells relate to math. Well, it turns out tune handbells came as a result of the big bell tower bells. Um, so in England, people would ring them, it's called change ringing, and ring them in permutations, so different shufflings for like weddings and funerals. And to practice... So this, w- this was kind of a, a public pronouncement, in other words. Yes. Like if the bells are ringing in a certain way, that's a message to people. That's like Twitter. Right. The wedding is getting ready to happen. Yes. Or... Someone has died right. or something. Yes. Okay. So announcing these big events. And um, they needed to practice, uh-huh. but that would be disturbing the neighbors for miles around. And they wouldn't know if it was for real or... Oh, sure. Or okay. Could be a events. false alarm yeah. or something. Yeah. So they developed wooden, had wooden bells, and then someone came up with these tuned bronze handbells. And with these, you can play melodies as well. But with the change ringing compositions, they had these different shufflings, different playing the bells in different orders, uh-huh. and they wanted to make sure they had every single possible shuffle and no repeats. And while they were doing that, they were actually doing some mathematics from an area called abstract algebra. Okay. And they, um, like if you have four bells, you, there's four choices what you play first, three, second, two, third, and no choice for what goes last. So there'd be 24 ways you could play those bells. 24 combinations. Which, right. Okay. And um, they would take, and it forms what's called a group in abstract algebra, satisfies certain properties. And when they were doing these compositions, they would do a subgroup for like a, a row across and then take a new element and multiply it times the others to get the next row, and it's called a coset. And if they did all the cosets, that would partition the group, and you'd have no repeats, and everything would get used. And it turns out that they were doing this 150 to 200 years before the mathematicians. 
So um, if the mathematicians... So what era would we be talking about? Um, so it was, um, change ringing started in 1610. Paul Revere was a change ringer, and that's how he had access to the Old North Church for his famous midnight ride. And then the bronze t- handbells were 1660, and then about 1670... 1680s when they started publishing these books about change ringing and had the the theory about how do you get all the possible permutations. So music was ahead of math when it comes to computations. Yes, these particular types. Fascinating. Yes, they were. Okay. And um, it's exactly like, so Lagrange in a paper in 1770 did something with permutations but not connected with bells, but it matches exactly what the change ringers were doing. And so he was, you know, a hundred years later and he didn't have the whole story and the whole story didn't get finished with the math, but it's like 1860. This is the kind of math that I could get behind. Yeah. I understand it. You've explained it well. I've always struggled with math, but you, you have brought it to life. So do you do this often in your classes? Do you bring the real world into mathematics? I try to, um, I want to make the mathematics fun, exciting and relevant for the students. Uh-huh. So I like to talk about when they're going to, you know, where things are used. But I also like to tell the history and where it came from and why people developed it. And so... Um, so that their eyes aren't just glazing over. No. Uh-huh. Yeah. And so you're sitting next to a pile of my costumes that I put on. Yes. Tell me about these costumes. What so are they? when I teach you history You seriously math, put these on? I put these on and go to class. So there's one for when I teach about Egyptian mathematics. I traveled to Egypt and I bought a robe and I've um, been to Guatemala and studied Maya mathematics. And so there's a a blouse thing I put on when I teach about that. And then here there's a wig for um, when I teach about a woman mathematician named Emily du Chatelet from um, the Enlightenment period. She was a French mathematician. And let me guess, she did a lot of math and some man took credit for it? or Well, she was kind of afraid to to speak up speak too much. Up, yeah. yeah. And I think that the first edition of one of her books didn't have her name on they it. They would have thought she was radical. Yeah. 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 Wow. Well, that does bring it to life. And so you have taught 27 years? Yeah, here at Pitt State. Uh-huh. Thousands of students, I'm guessing, who have gone on to uh, to have careers that, in which they use math. Has it gotten stale for you? Or it seems like you keep it going in a, in a fun and relevant way. But yeah. Um, uh, I love keeping in contact with my former students and hearing what they're doing. Um, had several go on and get PhDs in math. Um, some are teaching at middle school or high school level. And so um, I just love keeping in touch with them. Facebook is kind of the way that I do that and LinkedIn. And um, so proud of my students and the different impacts they've made on the world and making the world a better place. So that's what it's all about, right? Yeah. For music and math. Yes. Making the world a better place. Yeah. What do you love about music? Oh, what do I not love about it? Uh, I don't know. I, well, I really like the connections with mathematics. And I have to admit, when I'm playing a, a song, I'm looking at kind of the note, how the notes go up and down and, and uh-huh. thinking of like a function <laughs> and different parts of mathematics. And what it. is it that you love about mathematics? That it's everywhere, that it's in things like music, it's in art, um, it's in the cell phones we use. You know, it's, I like that it's just everywhere and so useful. Well, thank you for sitting down with me today. This has been an education. <laughs> you've, you've taught yet another human. All right. <laughs> Thanks, Andrew.
Many thanks to Professor Huffman for giving us a glimpse into the world of bell ringing and mathematics. If this is your first Gorilla Connection podcast, I'd like to invite you to check out other episodes on Buzzsprout and Spotify. I should also note you can find this particular story in written format, along with many other Gorilla Connection stories, at pittstate.edu backslash Gorilla Connection. That's also where you can subscribe to a weekly digital newsletter and get stories like this one delivered right to your inbox. Thanks for joining us, and happy holidays to you and yours from Pittsburgh State University. lovely. Thank you. Uh-huh. What a Christmas treat. Right here in the math department. Who would have thought? <laughs> Dr. Jay shut his door. <laughs> <laughs> He's a Scrooge. <laughs>